Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our daily reading of scripture and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is Sunday, April 30th, 2023. It is the fourth Sunday of Easter, also known as Good Shepherd Sunday. Today's gospel reading is from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Jesus said, Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever does not enter a sheepfold through the gate, but climbs over elsewhere is a thief and a robber. But whoever enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice, and the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has driven out all his own, he walks ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, because they recognize his voice. But they will not follow a stranger. They will run away from him, because they do not recognize the voice of strangers. Although Jesus used this figure of speech, the Pharisees did not realize that he what he was trying to tell them. So Jesus said again, Amen, amen, I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and slaughter and destroy. I came so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So when we celebrate the fourth Sunday of Easter, we call it Good Shepherd Sunday, and we read one of the gospel accounts of Jesus speaking about all of us, his followers, his church, as his sheep, and he is the shepherd. He also mentions himself as being the gate. And there are different versions of this reading in the four gospels. So John, once again, John is different than the other three. John takes us deeper. John uses different images. John, I mean, one thing that John has Jesus saying here, when I say that, I I mean, Jesus truly said these things. It's just that, as John says himself, if we wrote down everything Jesus said and did, there wouldn't be enough books in the entire world. So yes, John picks and chooses and he arranges them, the stories and the words of Jesus. And in this one, he is comparing himself to the Pharisees and the leaders that came before Jesus. Basically, that they are thieves and marauders. They're looking out for themselves, so many of them. But the true sheep do not follow the thieves and the robbers. The true sheep listen to the voice of the true shepherd. They recognize his voice and they follow him. Following is a great image as well because Jesus accomplishes salvation for the whole world within himself first. And then we follow him. In other words, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, that's where we need to go. We need to follow. We need to enter into his death. That means that we have to die to ourselves to some degree, although Jesus is the one who paid the ultimate price. But yes, we die to ourselves. We, through our prayers, through the sacraments, through our living of the faith, we connect with Jesus on the cross. We die with him. In the prayers of the Mass, especially in the prayers of baptism, we hear these words. And and baptism also, the way it's done, it's 
it's really happening and it's symbolic of the same time. So we, I just speak of the symbols at the moment of going into the water and coming out of the water. There is a death and there is a resurrection, but that is really happening mystically when a person is baptized. They are baptized into the death of Jesus so that they may rise with him. They have new life. They are able to conquer death because Jesus conquers death. They are able to ascend into heaven because Jesus has ascended into heaven. So there is this following. I, one time in school, heard a great little explanation about shepherds and sheep and how it all works and how, I mean, there were so many things said that day, but I just remember it's very powerful about how the sheep need the shepherd. I mean, they're completely reliant upon the shepherd. The shepherd feeds them. The shepherd takes care of them. The shepherd knows where there's good eating grounds. And so he moves on and they have to follow him, listen to the voice and follow him. But also the sheep need one another. So there's a purpose to the flock. The shepherd doesn't just have this sheep or that sheep. There's a flock. They come together. They need each other. They keep each other warm. And that expression, pull the wool over your eyes, it refers to the fact that sheep can't see very far because there's wool all around their eyes. And so they need to stay close and they need to be able to listen to the voice of the shepherd. It's, it's a perfect analogy for the spiritual life. We need to read scripture. We need to be listening to the voice of the shepherd. The first part of the mass, the liturgy of the word is all about that. We hear the shepherd's voice and then we follow him. And what are we doing in the mass? We're following him into his paschal mystery, his death and his resurrection. So we hear the voice of the shepherd. We follow him. The sheep do this. The sheep, however, sometimes get lost. Sometimes one goes astray. And when that happens, that sheep can no longer hear the voice of the shepherd. It happens with us when we go far from our faith. A lot of times when we sin, sin is enticing and we think, oh, I'll just step aside a little bit. I'll just do this a little bit. Then I'll jump right back in. But when we've left, we then lose the ability to come back. We cannot hear the voice of the shepherd anymore. We're not in grace anymore. We're in sin. Now we hear the voice of the devil leading us somewhere else. So the shepherd needs us to hear his voice. This is what happens with sheep. And they, um, when they're not next to one another, when they're not in the fold, part of the flock, they also then lose their way. And in this talk that I heard, the instructor was saying, they get cold. They start to shiver. And they might just shiver to death. They might just die. They don't go looking for food on their own. When they lose the flock and they lose the shepherd, they just wither and die. And so, once again, it's a great analogy for our spiritual lives, for our moral lives, that we need to seek the shepherd and we need to seek the flock. Sometimes our shepherds here on earth are not doing a good job sometimes. And so it can be very challenging, very confusing for us. Because we think, well, I want to follow Jesus, but this shepherd here, this priest or bishop or whoever, isn't following Jesus. He's doing something else. Or she, you know, in terms of a a sister, a teacher, a, a religious leader that's a woman, whatever, man or woman, they sometimes are not doing their job. And so we get confusing. So who do we follow now? We need a shepherd that is after the heart of the the good shepherd, Jesus. But it's, it's very important. So that's just part of the message there. We need to find good shepherds here in this world, and we need to find good flocks to be a part of. And 
once again, how do we find that? It's different for everybody. Maybe there's a good parish that you belong to. Maybe you need a good prayer group. In Medjugorje, you know, it's a big favorite place of mine. Uh, there's this constant emphasis, go home and start prayer groups. Whether you're in a good parish or not, it's very important you have that little group of people that you're praying with, that you're sharing with, you're talking to about your faith and the ups and the downs. We need one another. We need people to inspire us, to lead us, to guide us. So there's so much here, like I said, in this reading that helps us to understand how we're supposed to live the spiritual life. I want to focus a little bit, too, on the final line there, and it's tied into everything I've already been saying. Um, I'm looking at the wrong one, so let me turn the page. Jesus says, a thief comes only to steal and slaughter and destroy. That's an image of the bad shepherds. Jesus says, then I came so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. This is an interesting line. It's a great line, but a lot of times... I don't even understand what that means. I thought, Lord, you said, take up your cross and follow me. Doesn't that mean this is a life of suffering? Yet he says, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. This is something that we need to think about. How am I living my Christian life? And am I doing it in such a way that's not only giving me a more abundant life, but attracting others to a more abundant life. A famous speaker that I know often likes to say, Jesus did not say, you know, I have come so that I might give you a bunch of rules and make your life miserable. That's why I came. No, no, no. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to lead us to a greater peace, a greater joy, a greater love. That's why Jesus came. And so, The world, very often, and very often it's our own people, it's Christians and Catholics that, well, they put the faith on the back burner. They say, oh, man, another mass, another service, more prayer, more I got to go out and help the poor, blah, blah, blah. I'd rather just go have fun today. I'd rather just go do what I want to do. Or even the mentality of... Like I, I know some people that right now they're having a bachelorette party and they, it's, you know, they're, they got started drinking early in the day and it's like, all right, is that the abundant life? Sometimes people are thinking, all right, you know, this faith, it it gives us all these rules, but yeah, it's going to get us to heaven. So I'll follow that later. I'll, I'll get to that when I can, but right now I want to have fun, you know, so let's drink and let's do this. Let's do that. Let's live our lives in such a way that we indulge the pleasures of the world. And we're thinking we we set up categories in our mind. One is good. One is bad. One is fun. One is boring. I mean, if, if that's how we're thinking, I get it. Sometimes. Yes. The way we live our faith can be so rigid and just, you know, pharisaical is, is really a great way to say it. If, if we've been taught by Pharisees, then yeah, I don't know. Maybe they were getting something out of it, but we weren't. We were thinking, oh man, I got to follow these rules. This is tough. I got to fold my hands a certain way. I got to stand and say the prayers a certain way. It's so boring. It's so tedious. I'd rather just go have fun. But if we follow that through to its conclusion, it's a deception of the devil that says heaven is not going to be fulfilling. 
heaven, which we're called to live here on earth as well, by the way. But heaven is not going to fulfill me, satisfy me. I guess in the end, I don't want to go to hell. So, okay, later on down the road, when I think, when I get around to it, I will turn back. I'll go to confession, whatever, you know, because I don't want to go to hell. That's very often the mentality of Catholics that are so many that I know. Well, I better go to church or confession once in a while because I don't want to go to hell. But God is inviting us into something that's better. It's not just avoidance of hell. Heaven is going to be the fulfillment of all our longings and desires, but properly ordered longings and desires. You know, a person may think they're living the, the, the good life and, and having a ball until they get liver cancer from all the drinking that they've done. That's not the abundant life or sexual promiscuity until they get a disease or an unwanted pregnancy or just really worse self-esteem than what they already had. How about we work on the self-esteem and then pursue relationships that are fulfilling where there's true and genuine love rather than promiscuity and, you know, thinking that's somehow going to make us happy. And then in the end, you know, we don't get the fulfillment. We feel worse about ourselves. We dig the hole deeper and we can talk about every other sin that's out there. You know, I mean, I don't know. You, I'm, I'm, I brought up the alcohol and sex because they're two very common ones. We could just talk about anything, robbing, stealing, robbing banks. Oh, it's very fulfilling. You get all this money until you get caught or uh, until you realize one day that you've never earned any money and you're, you're basically whatever. I don't want to start saying negative things to people out there, but you know, yeah, we might think, and I don't know, people that are violent, you know, same thing. Oh, well, you know, I'm going to indulge my feelings of revenge and I'm going to feel great afterward. And then afterward they can't get enough and they want to fight more and they want to kill more. And they're still not happy when people make fun of my faith or little particular things about how I practice. One of the things that always comes to my mind that I want to say so quickly and very often I am able to hold my tongue but, you know, as they're making fun of the way I pray and I practice and, you know, I start to kind of have a conversation with them about it. Initially, I'm on the defensive because they're attacking me. But then if we start to turn it around and I start to ask them, well, how are they living? OK, they're doing the opposite of what I'm doing. They're living according to the ways of the world. And then one of the things that's just such an obvious conclusion for me, which I like I said, I don't always say it, but I think to myself, yeah, that's why you're so miserable. And that and, and you have to attack me to make yourself feel better. You don't even know what you want and what you need to make yourself feel better. Whereas I, on the other hand, and I don't say this to brag, this is a gift of the Lord. I have a peace and a joy within my heart, even though, yes, there's crosses in life and there's struggles. But because I have Jesus, I have peace and I can call on that peace when I'm having a rough day, when I'm going through difficult things, I can call on that. I can take some time alone with the Lord and he restores my peace. There's a joy that I have. People make fun because uh, whatever, you know, I like to, I have a little spring in my step. I like to sing. I, I like to just be happy, joyful, tell a joke here and there, whatever, and people get so resentful when they see that joy because they don't have it. 
And yet they're going to criticize me and they're going to, you know, and all of us that are believers that are listening, they want to criticize us because they say, oh, look at you, how miserable you are. You, you pray and you do all these strict things and look at all the fun I'm having with my living according to the ways of the world. Well, then why are you so miserable? Should be the response in our minds and in our hearts. Sometimes maybe it needs to be said. Well, you're so miserable or you're struggling with whatever anxiety, depression. Now, yes, is that some of that clinical and some of that maybe needs a doctor, a therapist? It's true. But this is where our faith comes in, not to make fun of somebody for being anxious or depressed, but to say, hey, where does that come from? And would you like me to pray with you about that? Would you like me to help you? And there's so many ministries now, more and more to help people recover their joy. I'm thinking of Unbound. I'm thinking of the JP2 Healing Center in Florida, that bo- both of which I've done retreats, and they're, they're wonderful and, and so healing. There's so much like that. There's more and more this movement towards healing of memories and just, just understanding how to pray with others, understanding how to give people hope. That hope comes from Jesus. That comes from prayer. So we need to be conscious of this. Why would someone want to follow the shepherd? Why would someone want to be part of the flock? They certainly don't want to be part of a group that's miserable or weird. Why would you want to live the abundant life that Jesus talks about? Well, I mean, even if we haven't seen this, perhaps we've heard of it here and there in the history of the church, communities that are overflowing with kindness and love and charity. Once again, I mentioned Medjugorje, and I'm not giving any endorsement to Medjugorje by talking about it. The church is still evaluating it. That's that's the official word. It's being evaluated. But the first time I went there, I was a teenager, and I saw so much joy on the people's faces, the way they lived. And they were dirt poor when I went. They were still a communist country. They had nothing. They were simple farmers living off the land. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have phones and TVs. They had nothing according to the ways of the world, but they had Jesus in abundance and they were so happy. They also had family. See, when you take away all the things of the world, the creature comforts, then what do you have? You have stronger families. I'm not saying go, go get rid of all your stuff and your family will be great, but it's just, we need to look at this and say, all right, what are we doing? Where is my emphasis? Is it on my family? Is it on relationships? I work with kids and so many of these kids are so lonely and depressed and sad and and they have all these disorders. And so much of it comes from the simple fact that their parents are not spending time with them. Or maybe it's a single parent family or what have you. The parents are not together anymore. So the kids are left to play with their cell phone because the parents are not with them or because they don't have siblings. Now, I'm not saying everybody out there is horrible because you only have one kid. It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when the focus is on family, when the focus is on community, when there's people working together, playing together, praying together, living life together, sharing life together, that's what the church is meant to be. And that's where you find the best adjusted children, the happiest children that make them the happiest adults. So things like community, charity, healing, which comes through prayer, peace that comes through prayer, truth that comes through our teaching. We say that God has three attributes, 
goodness, beauty, and truth. That's another attribute that's supposed to be there in the church. Beauty. We've torn down our beautiful churches and we replace them with ugly ones that look like bus stations and circus tents. And we wonder why people don't like to come to church as much anymore. I mean, that's one of the factors, beauty. When we live beauty, when we make ourselves beautiful through prayer and through charity, beauty comes from personal goodness that's within the person. Then people are attracted to this. This is the abundant life. There's so much to what Jesus is saying here. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And yet we have become empty in our society today. We've lost the abundant life that Jesus wants for us, that he's promised us, and we fill ourselves with technology, entertainment, emptiness, relationships. I don't know. I Once again, I'm not trying to be critical. I know so much of what I said was critical, but when we're just living in our technology, living to work, when we're not family-oriented, what do we have in our society today? We have people that don't know how to communicate. We have people that don't know how to heal. They don't know how to apologize. They don't know how to talk things out. There's so much that's supposed to happen in humanity that makes us all love each other and come together. That's why we need books. Like I'm just thinking of many, there's many examples. I'm thinking of one great example, the five love languages. Everybody needs to read that book and everybody needs to learn all five. The book is written from this point of view of, okay, let's learn at least one. <laughs> let's figure out at least the one that I'm good at or the one that this other person that I love is good at. And let's just try to focus on that. It can save my marriage or whatever. But the goal that the author says at the end of the book is to learn all five and to become proficient in them so that we have no excuse. So this is the abundant life. Jesus offers us a life of abundance if we live his teachings if we are men and women of community, of family, pursuing truth, truth on every level, it all goes together. Science and faith are not supposed to be opposed. So we need to be working on that, looking into that, talking that out. But our Lord came, you know, there's all kinds of things that we can figure out under the natural law, but there's also divine revelation, reading scripture. Jesus tells us stuff directly. And that, we believe, is truth. He has given us truth, and he says the truth will set you free. Once again, this is truth as part of the abundant life. So we ask our Lord to help us to become more conscious, not, not to just follow our faith because we, it's the thing to do, and not to not follow our faith because it's the thing to do. Many people today are just wandering aimlessly into, okay, look, getting married, better have a bachelorette party. Better have a bachelor party. Yeah, call the strippers, get the alcohol, whatever. Okay, you know, I turned 21. Let's go get smashed. Um, going to a football game. Yeah, let's go get drunk before the game. I think a lot of people are just, they're doing these things because they don't know what else to do because nothing else has been offered to them. We as Christians, we need to offer it to the world. Hey, you know, there's something better than all that stuff that's going to get you sick and addicted and diseased. And in horrible situations, we need to start living community. And this is one of my frustrations with parish life in this day and age. It's become more of a business where people come for services 
rather than a community united under its shepherd. And it's a very, very frustrating thing. When you're trying to do that, nobody else wants to do it because everybody's just there because, uh, well, we said there, we, th- we only came because you said there were free donuts. We're only here because you have games for the kids. We're going to do the games and then we're going to leave. And that's, that's not helpful. Or We deserve a mass with our wedding because my great-grandfather donated the bell. When in reality, that parish is supposed to be a family working, praying, living together. And then a wedding is supposed to be something that naturally flows from that. Not something that comes completely out of left field with people making demands. And yet that's what happens very often. I'm going to get off my soapbox because I could go for hours on that one. But anyway, as we celebrate Good Shepherd Sunday, let us truly live as the sheep of the shepherd, living life in its abundance. Let's make it happen. Let's do the best we can. Let's spread it to others. We have to start with ourselves, of course, by being filled with the Spirit through confession, through the Eucharist, through a life of prayer, and a life in common with others. God fills us. God brings us love and joy and peace, the fruits of the Spirit. It is the beginning of the life of heaven, and it becomes contagious. Let us all become contagious in living the abundant life. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.